It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Well, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Pastor Rick today is continuing in his series entitled Finding Joy in Our Journey. This is part five. Today we're in Philippians chapter two, looking at verses five through seven, where Jesus is humbling himself in a sermon about humility. Let's join Pastor Rick now in his sermon entitled, How Low Will You Go? Here's Rick. When Lucy and I still had young kids in our home, we purchased a large swing set jungle gym contraption uh, for our backyard. But after enduring for several years in the environment of Florida, the bugs won. And so we needed to replace some of the wooden parts that were on that, that swing set. So one Saturday morning, my wife called the 1-800 number of the company, um, and the phone rang and rang and rang and rang, and finally someone answered it, and it was the president of the company. And he took my wife's order for the parts that we needed um, and took care of our need. Well, when Lucy told me about that phone call and she had talked to the president, I was so impressed by that that later the next week I called uh, myself uh, to find out why did he do that. Now, I didn't have any special number, so I just called the 800 number again, and they put me right through to John Sally, the president of Woodplay. And so I asked him as the president, why in the world were you answering customer service helplines? And here's what he told me. He said, it's the customer that matters. Too often, a business ends up doing things, but not taking care of the customer, and they are what matters. So that's why I can't stand to hear a phone keep on ringing. I'll pick it up. It's not beneath me. A few years ago, I was up in Brea having lunch with my dad at a Marie Callender's. And he liked to take me to Marie Callender's because he knows I really enjoy their salad bar because usually with a salad bar, there's this large tub of cottage cheese. And I love cottage cheese if it's creamy. Well, on that day when we went to the salad bar and I went through, there was no cottage cheese. Bummer. (laughs) Uh, But when we got back to our table, the waitress, as they typically do, come up and ask you how everything is. And I asked her, I said, you know, normally I I really enjoy cottage cheese here because that's one of the reasons I come. Um, And she was very apologetic and said, yes, normally we do have cottage cheese, but we ran out and the truck has not come to uh, give us more today. Fine. Okay. Um, we continued eating and she went away until about 10 minutes later the general manager of the restaurant shows up with a bowl of cottage cheese for me when he had talked to the waitress uh, or the waitress had gone to him and told about this he went across the parking lot to a Ralph's bought cottage cheese and brought it to me (laughs) he met my need because nothing was beneath him either In John chapter 17 and verse 18, Jesus makes a very unsettling statement when in his high priestly prayer, he makes this comment. He says, as you, Father, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
Now, the disturbing reality of that verse is on many levels, but there's at least two I want to point out this morning. First of all, it's not only disturbing in the word sent, but it's also in the word as. That God has not only given believers a mission, but also a methodology. In other words, what we do in being sent is important, but so is the way we do it. Well, last week as we began our study in Philippians into chapter 2, Paul broaches the issue of how experiencing harmony in our relationship with other believers is going to bring us an incredible amount of joy. But that harmony, as we talked about last Sunday, does not happen automatically. There is a price to pay to get it, and that price is every one of us embracing humility. In other words, how low will we go? Or to answer it in a different way, is there anything that is beneath us? Now, do you remember when maybe you were as a child, uh, the experience of trying to jump and climb over a high fence or a high wall, and the first time you tried, you couldn't pull yourself over, so you stepped back a little bit and got a running start at it? Okay, well, let's do that again. Let's, let's, this morning... Let's back up a few steps and get a running start at these verses here in chapter 2 that we're going to look at this morning. Because to grasp how humility can joyfully impact my relationships with other people is a reach for most of us. Let's just admit that. It is a reach for us. So let's begin by just a quick review. Here's where we are kind of stepping back and getting a running start at it. Let's, Let's remember what we looked at last Sunday. Again, the overall theme of the book of Philippians is that Paul wants us to be able to find joy in our journey. In our life's journey, there ought to be a great deal of joy as we follow Jesus Christ. And so as we come to chapter 2, Paul then wants each of us in this life journey that we're in to experience joy in our relationships with other people. And so he he begins by pointing out that this relational joy comes from, first of all, verse 1, realizing all that Christ has given to me that makes my relationship with him so special. This vertical relationship that I have with God in Jesus Christ is incredibly wonderful and joy-filled because of all the things Christ has given to me. Then he turns that around in verse uh, 2 and says, then on a horizontal level with my relationships, I then turn around and give to others from the basis of what Jesus Christ has given to me. So my vertical relationship then changes my horizontal relationships. And then he made the very practical observation in verse 3 of chapter 2, so that instead of treating others with an arrogant attitude of what can you do for me, which he calls selfish ambition, or you can't do anything for me, which is conceit there in verse 3, instead we embrace humility that elevates the agenda of others to be just as important as my own personal agenda. Okay, so if you were tracking along last Sunday, with all that we were walking ourselves through in in these opening four verses, your reaction probably had to be, Rick, this is radical stuff. Well, absolutely it is. I mean, this is humanly impossible. Yes, that's true. So can it be a reality? And Paul would give us a resounding yes. But only if someone can show us how to do it. 
And that's where Paul now goes. From verse 5 to verse 8, he turns from motives to a model. He describes the model of humility. And Paul surprises us by pointing out that the ultimate model of humility, the opposite of pride, is Jesus Christ. Now, think about that. If there was anybody who had a right not to be humble, it would have been Jesus, who is God's own son. But if he can embrace humility, so can we. Our Lord shows us how low we can go. So look at the opening words of verse 5. Paul says, have this mind, or in some of your translations, have this attitude. And that's probably the better translation, attitude. Have this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So notice, we are first of all asked to display the same attitude or mindset that Jesus had. Now watch how Paul now shows us Jesus embraced Three stages of humility. And like train cars, they're all linked together. The first one allows us to do the second, and the first and the second allow us to do the third. First, to walk in or to embrace humility with others, verse 6, there is a letting go. Paul writes and says, let's start in verse 5 again. Have this mind or attitude among yourselves, which was also is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Again, note that last phrase, he did not grasp. What does that mean? Well, Paul is is using literally a, a, a word that describes grabbing hold of something tightly with an assertion that this is mine. Okay, parents with toddlers, you see this all the time. Your toddler grabs the toy of another child, holds on to it, clutches it tightly, and says, Mine. Okay, that's exactly the, the, the word Paul's using here. Now, we as adults, we do the same thing, only we're more subtle, aren't we? <laughs> um, we're more sneaky about it. Yet, in coming to earth, what Paul is saying is that Jesus made the decision that he would not grasp, hold on tightly to those things that were rightfully his as the Son of God. Really? I want you to imagine for a moment that in one evening, or on an evening, you were visiting a very large hospital complex for the very first time. Never been there before. This is your first time there, but you need to go. You can't find a parking place anywhere near the entrance, and so you end up parking in a back overflow lot. But because it's dark, you can't really see. You're lost. You stop another driver who happens to be coming down the, the, through the parking lot to ask directions, and he kindly says, well, tell you what, I will park my car here beside yours, and I'll walk with you to get to where, wherever you need to be in the hospital. So, so now suppose as you walk together towards the entrance and you're talking with him, you find out that this man is actually the chief surgeon for the whole hospital. And then as you near the front entrance of the hospital, you notice there's a sign right over there. It says, reserved parking for the chief surgeon of the hospital. So he had the superior advantage because of his status. He had that parking place because of who he was. But in deference to your needs, he did not use that rightful parking privilege, but walked with you the whole way. So again, here's the question. As he was walking with you, did he stop being the chief surgeon? No. 
Did he still have that reserved parking place? Yes. He had all of those things. And and at any time, he could have laid hold of those and used them, but for your sake, he chose not to in that particular moment. And that's what exactly Jesus has done for us. In coming to earth, he made a choice to voluntarily release his divine advantages. Now, he did not surrender any attribute of of being God, but he did limit and restrict their use. So we know, as we look through the Gospels, when he traveled, even though he was the omnipresent God, when he traveled, he had to walk there. He got tired in his traveling. He just didn't all of a sudden, poof, he was over somewhere else. Nope. He's the omnipotent God. I mean, the omniscient God. He knows everything. Yet in conversations with people, do you realize Jesus never interrupted them and said, I know, I know, I know. He never did that. Instead, he always asked questions. Huh. He allowed people to misunderstand him, to thwart him, to question his motives, to question his sanity. He got hungry, he got thirsty, he had to sit down at times to rest. When he suffered unjustly, he endured. When he was mocked, he remained silent. It's hard for us to get our minds around this, but Jesus refused to let any benefit that he might have as God to become a barrier to entering into life as we know it. And that's why Paul begins by saying, So have this same mind, the same attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wow. So what advantages, what rights do we have that we're willing to let go of? Or are there rights that we have that we find we just easily grasp and hold on to? For example, what about our education? Feeling we have a right to use what we've learned. I would never consider taking a job in some other field. Or my finances. I have a right to a certain lifestyle. Don't ask me to live on less or to give away more or to simplify the way I live. What about my social standing? I was raised among a certain class or race of people, and that's who I relate best to. So don't ask me to go outside my circle. Or what about convenience, comfort? Am I willing to lay down the expectation that following Jesus is always going to be easy? Or what about personal satisfaction and enjoyment? I mean, we all tend to do what we enjoy and find satisfying, but if going outside of our comfort zone and doing something that is both risky and seems unnatural to us just might connect us with someone who needs Jesus, will I go there? Or what about my position or role? Do I expect others to defer to me because of my title, my status? Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus is not asking you to to, to deny, to deny what you have or what you are. He's just asking you, do not let anything limit you at all. By the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, Paul describes it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Which means for us then, if we are going to embrace humility for the joy that can be there then in our relationships with others, we must follow Jesus as he models a letting go, a letting go of rights. But then notice where Paul goes next. He points to a second step. The second step in verse 7 is that there is a change of role. Verse 7 begins with the word but. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Again, notice that phrase. He took the form of a servant. There's that change of role. Now, by the way, there's a progression moving here that it's important to follow. Notice in verse 7, Jesus emptied himself. In other words, he chose not to use his equality with God to protect himself from pain or to promote himself. So as we've noticed, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he got tired, he got frustrated, he got impatient, he got even angry with people at times. He knows what it's like to be lonely, to be sad, to be humiliated. He was hurt when fists slugged him, when the whip tore skin off of his back, when nails pierced parts of his body. Now, we struggle to understand it, but the New Testament authors leave us in no doubt that Jesus fully entered into our sin-dominated world and lived with all the struggles and the heartaches and the headaches that we live with. In England, they just celebrated the Queen's birthday. The last time she came to the United States for a visit... The logistics of her coming included her bringing 4,000 pounds of luggage. That included two outfits for every occasion and a mourning outfit in case while she was here somebody died. She also brought 40 pints of plasma, white kid leather toilet seat covers, her own hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants. Her visit cost over $20 million dollars. Now, some think that Jesus just breezed through life while he was here. Now, they don't question or doubt or uh, that, he, well, that while he was on earth, he was God. But they, that, but they believe, really, by being here for him, it was like Albert Einstein taking a fifth-grade class math test. Huh. And yet, what does Hebrews 2 tell us? For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So in this progression going on in verse 7, we notice the first step is in the change of role that Jesus made the choice to empty himself. Now look at the second step here in verse 7. Jesus also made the choice, though, to embrace something. And there's a play, of, play on words going on here in uh, verse 6 to verse 7 that's not obvious in our English translations. Um, in verse 6, remember, we looked at how Jesus did not grasp. In other words, he did not hold tight. In verse 7, it says that Jesus took on. That word, took on, is a synonym for verse 6, grasping. Um, 
Because in other words, it also describes a reaching out and tightly embracing or holding on to something. So the play on words here is that Jesus had to let go of one thing so that he could grab another. Jesus made the decision to embrace a change of role. But that embracing of a new role only came after he released his rights and emptied himself. Again, he had to let go of one thing in order to grab hold of something else. Now, we all understand those changes of life that come and there's a change of role. A single person becomes married. A couple introduces a, or is introduced to a first baby in their home. A young adult graduates from school and becomes an employee. An employee who for a period of time has worked in the warehouse is now promoted to management. Uh, and many of life's changes of role are positive, they're upward, they're, they're good, they feel good. But what about the experiences when that role change doesn't feel so good? When retirement from a job is forced, when a parent or parents face the empty nest, when a starter on that team now sits on the bench as a sub, when at the end of a successful career a person is asked to direct less and coach more. See, these kinds of role, those kinds of role changes, they're scary, aren't they? They're scary or can be scary. They lead us to our value, our where we, where we belong as this change is going on. And, and, and there's something inside of us that can be shaken through these changes of role. And yet look at the model of Jesus of how low we can go. Verse 7 again. Jesus, the Son of God, chose a change of role to be a servant. And folks, there's no way to sugarcoat this. When we read or you read in verse 7 that word servant, do not picture the butler Carson in the Downton Abbey TV shows. There is no honor or respectability with this. Because that word servant literally means a slave. And a slave has limited freedom and their focus is to meet the needs of others. Servants ask, how can I help you? Slaves are expected to put their own desires aside and meet the needs of others as they give themselves away. Servants serve at the direction of someone else. And this is the change of role Jesus chose. Mark 10.45. Let's read this together, okay, out loud. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let that sink in, folks. The God of heaven, who is worthy to be worshipped and adored, who lives in unapproved, Light came to earth and he was approached by people who were disgustingly sick. Did he say, get away from me? No, he touched them and he healed them. Some had a hard time looking him in the face because of their guilt and shame. 
Did he say to them, well, you've made your bed, now you can lay in it? No, he forgave them. Others were pathetically hungry at times. And did he say to them, what were you thinking in making these choices? No, he fed them. Most were struggling to put it all together. Did he ever say to them, when will you ever learn? No, he taught them, patiently taught them. See, regardless of their struggle, regardless of the pain of those that came in contact with Jesus Christ, their agenda rose to the top of his priorities. When he came across a need, he became the answer to that need because nothing was beneath him. Now, I don't know what role you think you are here on earth to fill. But verse 7 of this passage makes it clear that if we claim to be the followers of Jesus, then we are being asked to follow our Lord into a change of role to servanthood. Servanthood. And yet Stuart Briscoe, the well-known pastor and teacher, one time said, this is a funny thing. Everyone says that Jesus Christ was the greatest man who ever lived, that he was one of history's finest teachers, but for some strange reason they refused to live by the very principles that made him great. (laughs) But remember I said that each one of these is like a linked train car In choosing this change of role, it's it's dependent upon having taken the first step of letting go. In other words, only those who have chosen to release their rights will find then the freedom to serve. Or to put it another way, there is a letting go inside of me that needs to happen before I can choose a change of role to serve. Once we start to realize that, suddenly all kinds of verses in the scriptures start making a whole bunch of sense that maybe we've blown right by. For example, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Or what about 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19? Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. 1 Peter 2.16. By the way, 1 Corinthians 9.19. Did you you hear what Paul's saying there? I am a slave to unbelievers to win as many as possible. That's a mind blower. Okay, 1 Peter 2, verse 16. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil, but live as God's slaves. Okay, so what is the mindset of humility? What is this embracing of humility that Jesus Christ models for us? Well, first, there's a letting go of rights. Secondly, there's a change of role to servanthood. And third, there is a, well, you know what? We're going to have to put the third one off till next week. We don't have enough time to deal with that. So you're going to just have to come back next Sunday, and we'll pick it up from there and find out what that third step of embracing humility is all about. So... As we close this morning, let me just let me encourage you to do some reflection here in a moment on this. I want you to think about the relationships that the Lord has given to you, that, that circle of relationships that you have that 
involves family and friends and people at school and people at work, your neighbors, maybe people that you work out with at the gym, those that are in your small group. I mean, that's just some, but that whole wide group of people. With each one, what is the level of authentic joy that you are experiencing with them? Could it be that there's something missing? Could it be that it's our expectation of what they bring to the relationship that we believe will bring joy? But you know what? You can't control anybody else. All you can control is yourself, me. We can choose to go low. We can choose to embrace humility. And Jesus is showing us how. A letting go of my rights that allows me then to change a role and be served. That's the start. We'll finish this next week. Father, in some ways I'm glad we're only dealing with two because that's enough for me. (laughs) Because you know how much I need your forgiveness as I come with expectation in my relationships of what they will do for me, how they'll serve me, and expect that that's where the joy will be. Father, you know how much I struggle to lay down my rights. That every time Lucy and I take on a new interim pastor, the letting go of what I would love to do, and that is just stay in Colorado, be near family, be near my kids. And yet you ask me to release my rights and change role to serve. Father, you know this is very personal and and tender for me, as I'm sure it is for every single one of my brothers and sisters in this room. There is a place where it's personal and tender too. Father, thank you though that Jesus is not coming and saying, yeah, go do this. But rather, watch what I've done for you. And it's possible. It's possible because I've given you that model. Oh, Father, may we as a body of believers be known for how low we will go. And we look forward to how you are going to change our hearts from the inside out to make those steps possible. So we pray this in the name of the great humility in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.